Well, hello, Psycho Nerders! This is Kari Dexter, and today I'm going to be interviewing my wonderfully beautiful mother. My favorite person in the world, my best friend in the whole wide world, uh, is here with me today, and we are going to be talking about some of the family dynamics in our household. So, uh, Mom. Yes? <laughs> um, what what do you think are some of your personal values? And when I say personal values, I mean, like, like, do you think you're more detail-oriented or material-oriented or idea-oriented? Like, what what is something that means the most to you? Um, I would say probably one of the things that's the most important to me would be relationships and relationship building. Um, material things are nice and comfortable, but uh, not at the expense of relationships. That answer? Yeah, kind of... that's perfect. Yeah, okay. that's a really good answer. Um, all right, next question. Uh, where do you think you stand in the family? Like, what role do you play? Um, our family, I would say, is a little bit non-traditional. Um, I am the primary breadwinner for the family. Um, in that role, sometimes I struggle to <clears throat> take into account everybody's needs and wants. So, um, it's not, it's because it's not traditional, it's not something where I can just look around me and see how it's supposed to be done. So, um, there's a lot of kind of feeling our way around issues in our family. Yeah. Yeah. We like to experiment and try things out and see what works and what doesn't. <laughs> we like to call it scientific. However, I don't know yes. if it would really fall <laughs> into that category. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was a really good answer. And I, I love hearing that. Um, but what would you say is your greatest weakness as, as a parent and a person? Um, I, I see a lot of shades of gray in the world and I have been through quite a few experiences. I sometimes think maybe I understand more maybe I'm more understanding than I should be I'm not great at telling people what to do I'm more comfortable in the role of conciliary <laughs> um I'm more comfortable like guiding when it's needed I'm not so directive and you have to do it this way um, sometimes I think I'm more hands-off than, than I should be. Well, I think you're just more hands-off than most parents are usually. And I think we'll see quite a stark difference when we interview dad. Well, and that may be what allows me to be more hands-off. It's true. It's true. There's a balance that we still trying to find out, like... <laughs> All right. Um, well, 
to kind of piggyback off of that last question, what would you say is your greatest strength as a person and a parent? Um, I've been through a lot, so I have a lot of understanding. Um, I think I have a lot of compassion and um, relatability. I am very open-minded and willing to explore other perspectives and points of view. I'm accepting. I try to be very non-judgmental. Um, she does a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I think building and having a relationship with my kids is a strength of mine. Yeah. I would agree. <laughs> okay. Since you're like one of my best friends. <laughs> Okay, that was good. <laughs> um, okay, what is something you personally struggle with? Oh gosh, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have anything nailed down, uh, but that's okay. Like, I think that we're here to learn and grow, and I think the minute that we get a fixed mindset and think that we know everything it kind of invites the universe to remind us that we don't know all the things well and like like I guess by what what I mean when I ask what you struggle with personally is like mental health because this is a mental health related okay uh podcast so like like, do you have any diagnoses? Do you have any medications? I think I know the answer to most of these questions, but I just want to hear it from you. Like, is there some, like... Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. depression is something that's been a struggle and um, it's something I've inherited. So it's not... Um, not new. Yeah, it's not new. It's something I've been struggling with since I was probably Kaya's age. I didn't get it diagnosis like 11 12 I would say at least um I didn't get a diagnosis till I was <sighs> probably in my mid-20s can you tell me why why what why you didn't get a diagnosis uh because my dad is a doctor and doesn't believe in doctors so yeah. I never went to a doctor <laughs> and what was your home life like as a kid lonely <laughs> like what what was the what was the structure what was really important in your household what were your your parents and family values um that may not have been shared with everyone <laughs> i feel like you have a i do i have a specific, <laughs> I have a specific <laughs> thing that i'm thinking of but i want to hear you say it <laughs> um so I was raised in a very conservative, um, authoritarian, Christian, black and white, right and wrong, um, Victorian valued household. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Um, and then, because I know you went off to boarding school. Can you tell us what age you were when you went off to boarding school? I was 15. I don't, can you tell the microphone what you told me about boarding school? There's a famous quote that I always 
tell my friends when I'm talking about you. Oh, that I went away to boarding school to get some freedom? Yeah. <laughs> that you had more freedom at boarding school than you did in your own household. Yeah. 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 So. So it, it was kind of a dichotomy because my parents were never home, but when they were home, there was no freedom thing. Yeah. Everything was micromanaged and structured. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was really good that you got away when you did. And I think that's why you're able to see so many shades of gray, which I definitely appreciate because it's given, you've definitely passed that down to me. And I, I do, I have a lot of compassion and relationships are like my biggest value. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that gray scale is what I'm good at, <laughs> not seeing in black and white. And, um, you know, I can, even I can, like, still get caught up in the black and white sometimes, but then I have you to kind of show me, like, hey, it's not all this way, like, there's another side, too, and it's not that you're saying you're for that other side necessarily, but it's just to show me a different point of view. And I have always, always, always respected that. And I, I think it is so valuable, so valuable. And I just really appreciate that. So well, thank you. Oh, well, you're very welcome. Um, one of the things that was a big deal when I was a kid was Les Miserables. <gasps> And that kind of formed my outlook on, um, like grace versus, uh, uh, legalism mm. and kind of looking yeah. at yeah, the shades of gray and yeah. yeah, he stole a loaf of bread, but why did he steal that loaf of bread? Yeah. And kind of looking at the context and, yeah. and that's, taking that into account is kind of formative for me. I definitely, I love that because I, you know, I know, I knew that you loved Les Mis, but I didn't know what a significance it had, but I can, I definitely see now how that can have such an, a lasting impact. And I absolutely love that. So, uh, for my last question to you, what do you think I struggle with the most that you've seen? Um... So I'll start a little bit by describing you for any of the listeners that may not know <laughs> you to the extent that I do. Um, you are the most social and the kindest, most thoughtful, intelligent girl. Um, super proud of you. Thank you. That leads you into relationships that... Um, you feel important and needed and I think sometimes you take on your friends <clears throat> um, anxieties and troubles and so not only do you deal with your own anxieties and insecurities and troubles then you add your friends on as well and I think it magnifies what you deal with I think we have a lot of anxiety around relationships just 
trying to be there for your friends. I think that anxiety then turns into some depression and self-doubt. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, that does. That sounds very accurate. Is there anything that I missed that... Um, I think maybe that... um, just to provide some context that the kind of the reason why I feel so compelled to, you know, be there for my friends and be there for um, everyone that may not have people there for them is because it helps distract me away from my own problems. But then eventually my problems just can't be ignored anymore. And they say, hello, I'm knocking on the door. Now I'm going to kick the door in and we're going to say hi. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) All right, I guess. However, if you can harness that, it gives you a depth of understanding um, that allows you to help other people. And so I think as you grow and mature and find coping mechanisms that help you deal with your own stuff you can utilize those emotions and those feelings that you've been dealing with when you're talking to other people and helping them with their stuff you don't have to take it take theirs on as well yeah and i think that's why i'm so interested in psychology is because i want to learn that like i want to be able to talk to people and not have it feel like i'm putting off my own problems and because i love helping people like i genuinely I genuinely love it and it makes me the happiest person in the world but then it can just build up and kind of be too much but you know in the field of psychology I feel like I learn how to deal with my own problems and I'd learn why they happen and then I would also within that I would be able to more fully help other people yeah so did we ever actually answer the question? <laughs> uh, remind me which question we're talking about. Uh, what do you think I struggle with the most? Ah, uh, well, I think I started with the context. Yeah, yeah. But um, got to the anxiety. I think the anxiety is the hardest one for you yeah. to manage. And I think the anxiety then, as you struggle to manage, it turns into depression as well. So you got a double-edged sword there. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, but, you know, we're, we're working through it. Yeah. You got a lot of people on your side. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you for being here today with me, lovely. It's my pleasure. <laughs> It was amazing talking with you, and I'm so glad I got to have you on this show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, of course. All right. We'll see you later. Next up, my dad. Dun, dun, dun. All righty. I'm here with my dad, the, uh, the crazy person of the family. I'm just kidding. Love you. No, you're not. <laughs> not really. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to start off with my first question. Uh, what are some of your personal values? My personal values? Yeah. I have none. 
Yeah, he's zero the jokes. values. He's the jokester of the family. Um, <laughs> uh, like the way I explained it to mom was, what are some of like? Are you more detail based, material based? Like, I guess, what values do you hope to instill in me and my sister? Um, honesty, integrity, confidence. Those are, those are the main ones. Mm-hmm. Hopefully a sense of pride mm-hmm. and uh, um, a good work ethic. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about why those per- are your specific personal values and what, like, why do you think that those are things that you want to instill in us? Um, well, the, that's what, what my father tried to instill in me growing up. <laughs> Did it work? Not really. Um, <laughs> but I have observed people that have those values and have done quite well for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what most parents want for their children is for them to do better than they did. Yeah. That's, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Um, next question is what? role do you think you play in the family oh i'm the mad i'm the mom dad the mad (laughs) the mad yeah (laughs) the mom dad okay yeah what what does that what's the job description on that role job description is work countless hours for very little pay (laughs) and um every time i hear i hate you an angel gets gets its wings (laughs) okay i I know I'm doing something right. <laughs> nice. Alrighty. Um, what would you say is your greatest weakness? My greatest weakness, besides your chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> I do make good cookies. Yeah, you make some pretty bomb cookies. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, my greatest weakness. Um, my greatest weakness is myself trying to overcome things that I, well, kind of like chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> I don't have to eat a chocolate chip cookie, but that little voice in the back of my brain says, hey, you want that chocolate chip cookie? And then my belly says, no, you don't, because you're <laughs> going to have to work that out a lot if you do. <laughs> so does that mean, like, you need to work on your willpower or, like, that your weakness is your willpower? Um... No, well, yeah, kind of. Um, my or, my willpower, or is it just the the conflict of emotions versus logic? No, like what you feel versus what you know. Um, it's more more the fact that I know that something's bad, but sometimes I'm going to do it anyway. Kind of like when. I was younger and I was playing with fireworks, even though I knew I wasn't supposed to, but they were fun. (laughs) Yeah. You did some crazy things as a child. Um, all right. To kind of opposite that, what would you say is your greatest strength? My greatest strength? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, my ability to, to, um, focus when I need to focus um even though sometimes I don't want to um and my ability to keep um 
try to keep a, a the end goal in sight for whatever I'm doing, um, even though it may be far off. So, to kind of expand on that, would would you consider that to be like your self discipline? Yeah, my self discipline is something that um, I try to work on every day mm-hmm. and make better tomorrow than I was today. I think that's very healthy. People need to grow. All right. All about the personal growth. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, what? Okay. Uh, what do you struggle with personally? Like, besides your greatest strengths or weaknesses, like, what do you struggle with on a daily basis? Immaturity and getting songs stuck in my head. <laughs> All right. Is there anything uh, a little deeper than that? Like, no, I'm very shallow person. <laughs> um, like when you want to eat a chocolate chip cookie, but you feel like you shouldn't. Like, what is the driving force behind you not eating that chocolate chip cookie? Consequences. Okay. And what do you feel like is the consequence of that? Uh, consequences that I will have to work out harder. I will have to maybe take in fewer calories. Um, Why do you think that you have to work harder? Because as you get older, your body goes through changes. So there were these birds and these bees. Oh, haha, <laughs> very funny. <laughs> gotcha. No, but, um, no it's, it's more of self-control, self-discipline. Mm-hmm. So I know that I want the chocolate chip cookie, um, I don't necessarily need the chocolate chip cookie. And there are plenty of times where I say, you know what? I don't need that chocolate chip cookie. And I walk away. And there are other times where I say, you know what? I'll have it today. And I'll have the chocolate chip cookie. And that was just an agreement with myself. But, you know, and I do that with other things in life, too. Um, Well, and I guess my question would be, if you do allow yourself to have that cookie do you feel like afterwards you need to go make up for that? No, because if I told my, if, you know, I've thought it through and if I decide to have it, then I'll have it. And I don't feel any remorse for it. I just realized that maybe tomorrow I got to work a little bit harder. I got to run a little bit further and, and that's fine. That's kind of a, you you know, you got to, you got to play to pay or pay to play rather. Um, so there's always a inner dialogue going on and, you know, you should have that with yourself from time to time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, what, all right. So what do you think I struggle with the most? Oh, girl. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get my list out. It's long. <laughs> Hold on. Um, hold on. Let me get my phone out because I have a list. <laughs> no. Um, you struggle with um, self-discipline sometimes. Um, and you struggle with um, self-doubt sometimes. And sometimes you struggle with a little bit of having too much confidence. <laughs> So, 
Sometimes I feel like I gotta kind of rein you in a little bit. <laughs> um, I guess my question would be, why do you feel that I have a lack of self-discipline? What have you seen in me? And it's okay to expose me on, on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, girl. I give you full permission. Well, do we want to go back to chocolate chip cookies? (laughs) It's a really good, Um, it's a good example. Cheetos puffs, uh, driving in a way that is not appropriate for a teenager to be driving or uh anybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know what they're talking about. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Okay, I guess then my question would be, um, what are your standards for self-discipline? My standards for self-discipline? Yeah. Um, really just having an inner dialogue with yourself and seeing if you are um, living up to what your the goals that you want to meet. So I set certain goals for myself on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And I want, you know, I work to try to achieve those. Um, sometimes I've fall and or fail and other times I nail them head on um when I do fail I um tend to beat myself up a little bit more than I probably should and that's one of the things that I actually work on um and so I try to see you know um instead of beating myself up I'm constantly trying to just more analyze why I didn't do as well as I wanted to and um you know, try to bring it up to the next level the next time I'm faced with that challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you were talking, this thought occurred to me. Um, do you think that self-discipline and self-doubt have any correlation and or overlap? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think that self-discipline and self-doubt tend to go hand in hand. Because if you doubt yourself, then you're not going to be disciplined. Do you think that maybe an overabundance of discipline can cause self-doubt? It's a possibility. Um, Like imposter syndrome. You know, I know people that are very um, much much more disciplined than I am. Um, but occasionally they suffer from feeling like they are, you know, they shouldn't be in the position they're in, even though they are very good at what they do. And I guess my question that I want to ask you is, um, how do I say this? Um, what... What is the difference between self-doubt and self-discipline? Girl, I don't know. We're going in depth here. What's up? Yeah, yeah, that's the whole point. Okay, because I ain't got the whole point. My knees aren't going to take this for much longer. (laughs) Seriously, I'm losing blood flow to my feet. We need to get some seats up in this podcast. (laughs) We're very low budget. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Holy cow! (laughs) We need to kick down some budget for chairs. Um, What was your question again? Uh, what's the difference between self-discipline and self-doubt? Self-discipline is um, your ability to stick to something even though you don't want to. Self-doubt is um, 
your ability to maybe not um you not feel comfortable with your ability to do something yeah i think that's a really good um kind of definition but i guess uh my uh not really a question but i guess to me that self-doubt and that self-discipline go a lot closer together Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time for me I set standards for myself and sometimes they're way like they're unachievable like I want to be the best at something but then I try so hard that I burn out quickly and I you know I do more than I can So then I start doubting myself on what goals I set and what I can do. And I think that definitely, you know, uh, harms the the kind of balance between self-discipline and, like, like a healthy amount of self-discipline and then a higher level of self-discipline so when you when you fall and you um you know or fail at something and you start doubting yourself do you ever analyze go back and analyze oh all the time the reasons i overanalyze i Mm. say this is what i could have done this is like why didn't i do this blah 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 and you know and then i have to try to kind of take myself back and say this is supposed to be analyzation, not trying to change what I did in the past. Um, and, you know, seeing what I did wrong is great and it's very healthy, but I also get so paranoid that I'm going to make those mistakes in the future mm-hmm. that I end up making even bigger mistakes. So do you ever feel like you get paralysis by from analysis i love the alliteration and yes yes i do i get a lot of paralysis from analysis okay so and do you ever break it down into smaller pieces to kind of baby step your way through um where you went wrong and i definitely try um and it's it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. And so I'm going to give you props for being able to do that. Because for me, it is incredibly difficult because I just end up going into this spiral of things I did wrong and what I could have done better. Um, and it just gets really overwhelming. But, you know, being able to, and that's one of the things I'm personally working on, is being able to break those down and tell myself that hey it's okay if you don't get it right the first time like it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to go back and analyze them it's just taking those baby steps and small pieces sounds like a good way to do it yeah so i've definitely been working on that and i think um going back to the cookie example um you know it's interesting that you use uh that specific example because i know that um 
personally, I have struggled a lot with eating and eating disorders and, um, you know, being able to trust my body and what it needs. Um, and, you know, hearing you say like, oh, I shouldn't have that cookie or, oh, you know, like, like trying to assess what you need or don't need in regards to something that's imperative to life, uh, which would be nutrition, is uh, interesting for me. And it also, um, I guess, sheds light on something, some, something I guess I've been trying to figure out for a long time. Uh, and I don't know if this is okay to say on a podcast, but I'm going to say it anyways, because yeah, life is short. Um, so I guess it seems to me like maybe our family has some issues with body image and, um, self-worth. Okay. <laughs> does that, re- does that, like, resonate with you at all? Not really. Have you ever been, like, afraid of being bigger than you are now? No, because I've been bigger than I am now. Well, are you, are you constantly living in fear of being bigger? No. But when the baby gets too big, it's time to whittle the baby down. Uh, I hate to tell you, but that's kind of the exact definition of what I just said. No, it's not. Um. How is it different for you? How is it different for me? Yeah. Because I understand that, um, if, well... You maybe remember I used to be about 30 pounds heavier than I am right now. And I decided that I didn't like being 30 pounds heavier, so I did something about it. But I had to get to that point where it was uncomfortable for me and enough for me to get off my butt and start doing something about it. Yeah. And, you know, that was several years ago. Mm -hmm. But it was hard work. And it was um, more focused on, you know, eating better and eating fresh fruits but we live in a time right now where we have more access to food than just about any other time in history um and especially you know empty calories Mm -hmm. and so it's easy to go through and grab you know some bag of cheetos and chips and go to town on them but it's also um it's also easy to grab an apple or something like that or Mm -hmm. you know a banana and and go that route too. And I guess um, that, yeah, I mean, and it's true, we do. Um, but my question is, like, like, as someone who is younger and trying to learn and grow and be comfortable, you know, kind of grow into myself. How do you think, how would you best teach how to kind of toe that line of being self-disciplined? Well, I've tried to teach you, but um, you 
tend to be very emotional about, about a lot of the things that I offer up. Whereas I try to look at, I look at things as more numbers, you know, calories in calories out. I don't have any emotional attachment to food. I don't, food does not make me happy. It just makes me full. Mm -hmm. Um, and well, and I think that's definitely a very key difference in how we view, you know, sustenance mm -hmm. and nutrition. Um, because to me, food is something that makes me happy. You know, when I eat, I don't know, like a donut or something, it makes me happy. I'm like, wow, this reminds me of, you know, a time when I went to this amazing bakery and had the best donut in the whole wide world. Or, you know, this reminds me of a time when I sat and had coffee with my friend and we ate a donut or I ate a donut and we just shared a really good conversation or just the fact that it tastes good. Like, I very much enjoy the little things that that life has to offer and you know being able to taste and feel and have emotions about stuff is like that's my favorite thing about being a human well see one of the things that i did um that i taught myself to do a long time ago was instead of being emotionally attached to food um get more emotionally attached to try to goals like um like when i got into running and i started doing you know 5ks and marathons and um so my you know my hitting those goals those numbers um on training days was a big part of you know kind of getting that in, endorphin rush that feeling like yeah i hit that mm -hmm. um or you know like lifting a weight and trying to hit that which you would think that i have bigger arms but I just, <laughs> whatever um <laughs> But, you know, just hitting those numbers and and feeling good about that, um, that's where I get that endorphin rush from mm -hmm. um, and that sense of excitement, you know. And I still, you know, like um, having like a coffee or having a donut on occasion with some, you know, somewhere like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. But it's it's just, you know, it's about self-control. Um, no understanding that yeah food you can have a certain type of food that will make you feel good but um you know at the end of the day is it gonna really fulfill your soul well yeah um and then the uh i guess what i have to ask you then is how do you do that in a way that is healthy? Hmm. I don't know. Um, I thought that I had a healthy way to um, do that, but I think everybody's a little bit different in their approach. And my approach is very direct and very succinct. And some people need a little bit more of a kind of a softer touch approach. Um, kind of like how mom does mm -hmm. her approach. She's very, um, you know, emotional based where I'm just like, you know, a little bit more drill sergeant. You know, That's like, you must do this now. <laughs> um, well, and that's, that's in your, your teaching abilities, but how do you make those thoughts that you have about self-discipline and self-control? How do you make those healthy? Like, how do you keep 
and prevent them from becoming um, intrusive or toxic thoughts? Um, I don't know. I don't really, I really don't. Um, I think one of the, the things that I have, um, that I'm reminded of is, you know, you remember when I worked in the hospital in the, in the ER mm -hmm. and I oftentimes got to see people that were five, 600 pounds, um, you know, between four to 600 pounds people that we, we had a hard time finding a, a bed that would support them because they were so large and they were never coming in for a good reason. Um, and, you know, having to watch their family go through that and having to watch the, the strain and sadness on their, the, their family's faces as they faced a major health crisis. Um, and occasionally, you know, their families lost a loved one. And I was usually the one helping perform CPR on them. And, you know, understanding that you don't ever want to get to be that big. That was somebody who had an overabundance of calories and found a lot of, you know, emotional need in their food. And, you know, it led them down a not very good path. And some of those people are quite young. Um, you know, um, I remember one person was like still in their late teens. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, over the 500 pound mark. So that, you know, that's a pretty bad situation. And I don't ever, I, you know, was blessed with a pretty, pretty um, fast metabolism from an early age. Mm -hmm. But as I age and I get older and more rickety, um, things get a little bit more difficult. So, you know, I'm just trying to fight death off as long as possible. <laughs> well, and I guess that brings up the point that do you think those thoughts of needing self-control and self-discipline are drive or driven by some kind of fear? Because you did say that those people, it was scary. They got to a point where it was scary. And I definitely see where you're coming from, where you, you don't ever want to be facing a health crisis. Like that is scary. It wasn't this, it wasn't that they were scared. It was the sadness on their faces. I'm um, seeing the sadness of somebody losing a loved one and thinking of like, you know, I don't ever want my loved ones have to have to watch me go. So I'm not scared about going, um, but knowing that I could prevent something so easily mm -hmm. um, is certainly something I want to prevent for as long as possible. Yeah. And in watching um, how they went, and knowing, understanding all the details of how they went, doesn't seem like a good ride. Yeah. Um, all right. So my next question is, when those patients would come in, and I know you said you saw the sadness on their, their family's faces, because it is a sad time, and it's traumatic and I cannot even imagine actually I can but you know it's it's sad um and 
I guess my question to you would be, did you ever talk with patients or um, was there ever anything in the patients that you saw? No. No? What do you mean? Was like, there ever anything in the patients I saw? Like... I did talk with the patients. Yeah. I love uh, talking to the patients because everybody had their own story. And, mm -hmm. and So I guess what part of their story would be a commonality that you found? Never. Well, you know, when they're in the hospital, most people are scared. Um, you know. Did they ever tell you why they ate so much? No. We never had those type of conversations. Mm -hmm. um, that was not something for me to discuss with them. Um, you know, a lot of times they're, they're just frightened and, um, need somebody to kind of talk to you about whatever is crossing their mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I was available at the time, then I would have a chat with them. And I like talking to people because, you know, everybody's got a different story, but sometimes the, the talks don't get too personal, mm -hmm. um, kind of stick to the the facts of what their their issues are um, and trying to and, and in medicine oftentimes especially in a in an emergency room you're just trying to fix the immediate problem not the yeah. the long-standing problem yeah yeah so I guess something that I'd want to explore with that would be like how does like, what kind of emotional void were they trying to fill through that, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call it an obsession, but, like, just, like, do you think they were trying to avoid emotions or use it as some kind of coping mechanism? And I have no idea. Um, I think it was different for everybody. I think each person has their own demons that they were fighting and that they were using food to kind of fill some void. Um, you know, but it was different for everybody, I would guess. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't really talk to anybody about it because they had more pressing issues at hand. Yeah. And by the time their pressing issues were over, they were, were off to a different part of the hospital. Yeah. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Not all of them. Um, so, you know, I think it's different for everybody. People, um, whether they have issues with eating or, um, you know, not eating or, you know, um, maybe some type of obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, it, there's something there about Although, like with OCD, I don't know, I don't understand all the mechanics of that. But um, but usually when people are overeating, there's some type of void that they're trying to fill with food. And I never really had that problem. I just love sugar, like sugary <laughs> food. And so, you know, I love cookies. <laughs> so I know you said that you don't necessarily have an emotional attachment to food. But then I hear you said that you love sugar and that you know you can't stay away from it and i know that you've to me called 
sugar uh, type of drug before, which I know you can back up with some studies. And, um, but I want to kind of, I guess, um, see why you demonize it, I guess. And I know, I know you've seen bad things that happen to people who eat a lot, a lot of sugar, but like, personally, like what, what has it done to you? <laughs> um, what has it done to me? Uh, it made me overweight for a while. And, um, you know, as you get older and you, you start kind of packing on the pounds and then one day you look in the mirror and you go, whoa, dude, I don't want to look like this. I look whacked. So then you go, okay, how am I going to fix this? And well, then make a plan to, to fix it. I guess then my question would be, why don't you want to look like that? And why do you have that thought of, I don't want to look like this. I need to change it. Or, you know, I'm getting older. I'm packing on the pounds. And mm -hmm. who's to say that you can't just let that happen and, you know, live through that, I guess, part of aging. Um, most of the studies on high blood pressure and obesity, um, cardiac failure and obesity, uh, when you're heavier, you actually have an increased work of breathing. So that makes, you know, just walking up stairs or a hill more difficult. Um, when I shed 30, 35 pounds, it made running like nine day easier. Um, I mean, I could actually feel a difference between like five pounds now, you know, uh, you know, I, I like to go and run hills. Um, and you know, you, you can feel that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll, I'll load up a backpack with like 15, 20 pounds of weight and run up the hill with a backpack with weight just to increase my challenge. But man, I'm glad I can take that backpack off at the mm -hmm. top, you know, at the top or at the bottom or whatever and, and not have to carry that weight with me. Yeah. So I'm, um, it makes things easier. Uh, one of the, another focus that, you know, was nice or another benefit of it was as you get older, you, your joints get stiff. And when I started focusing more on my diet and eliminating sugar, um, my joints weren't stiff anymore. I was like, Hey, I feel much younger. I can, I can actually go run full out around the track and not have to worry about being sore and stiff for three days afterwards or you know going on like a, a mountain bike ride and and not you know have sore knees for the next day or two mm -hmm. or that night yeah like if you remember when we came back from the Humboldt marathon oh uh, yeah well yeah <laughs> you were sitting in a car for like three or four hours try five, five. yeah run 26 miles hop in a car for five hours and then like barely be able to get out of it. Yeah. Drag yourself across the floor. <laughs> yeah, that was that was rough. I was impressed. It was rad. It was actually <laughs> awesome. Cruise control must have been your best friend. Yeah, it was. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show, sir. You're very welcome. I appreciate your presence and I have learned a lot today. Okay. Can I just make a request? Yeah. Cheers next time. Yeah. All right. Sweet. I'll, I'll talk to the manager, see what we can do about that. All right. Yeah. <laughs>
manager of this place <laughs> needs to get on it. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Hello, psycho nerders. Um, so those interviews were definitely eye-opening and very informative, and it really helps me to understand uh, my family dynamic better and, you know, what I can do to help um, the family dynamic be a little bit more regulated so it's not um, so up and down as it usually is. I've learned that the unhealed trauma that are experienced by parents of a household are often unconsciously projected onto the children in an unbalanced family dynamic, such as, you know, my dad's disordered eating um, and my mom's people-pleasing tendencies, which I wholeheartedly adopted. And this often leads to disorder and chaos in the form of expectations, um, such as uh, my father's expectation of self-discipline and self-control uh, and their ways of teaching. My dad's way of teaching tends to be very aggressive, and my mom tends to be much more geared towards compassion and understanding, which, in my opinion, there's one that works a lot better, um, but that's just an opinion. While my mother is the primary breadwinner, my dad is still seen as the figure of authority and power in the family. Uh, our emotions tend to be seen as crude because they're not facts, they're not statistics. Um, and while my, well, because they're not facts, they tend to be dismissed and we tend to be told that we need to, you know, keep on keeping on, and which can be a little difficult <laughs> because we all struggle with mental illness. So that can be kind of detrimental to all of us. And, you know, while my mom and my sister and I try to kind of unlearn some of the toxic traits that my father has indoctrinated in us, he tends to stand very firm in his beliefs and it makes it difficult for us to unlearn those habits because, you know, when you're around something all, all the time, it's hard to fight it. It really is. And... You know, we see stories of people that go against their parents and, you know, completely be a person that their parents didn't want them to be at all. And we think, oh, that's so good for them, but we don't really truly understand um, how much pain and effort goes into unlearning what they've been told their entire lives. We don't really understand you know, how their parents might have reacted or just how much effort it took. And, you know, I tend to have a really good understanding of that because I've, you know, I'm living through it and I'm having to fight for what I believe in. And I, I'm essentially having to justify every belief that I have against someone with an unconscious bias, which is very, very difficult. And it gives me a lot of respect for those who are able to live as their authentic selves all the time and just, you know, say screw it and I guess go against what their parents had set out for them because I know that it's hard. Um, 
and it definitely rocks the boat. <laughs> like, um, anyways, I, from this, I learned that power dynamics are everything. Um, they're who you are. They are how you understand the world, you know, for good or for worse. Um, in my family, it can be good, you know, I got my compassion and my understanding and my knowledge of the grayscale from my mom and uh, from my dad. I got finding a love of sports, um, a love of physical exercise, but I also got, you know, <laughs> I got eating disorders and people-pleasing tendencies that tend to cause me to burn out, so... On the grayscale again, there's there's a good and bad side to both of it. The important part is that we understand that not everybody's family is the same. Not everybody is what they appear to be. And that family has a really big impact on everyone. If you're going to have kids, work on yourself. Work on growing, even if you don't have kids, you know? But especially if you plan or want to become a parent, self-growth should be your biggest concern and priority. Because anything that you have that is unhealed, you're going to pass down to your children, whether you know it or not. You're going to see those patterns repeat. It's inevitable. That's why mental health has become so important, is because these young people are suffering. We fight for equality, but we forget that youths are left behind in the fight. That a lot of youth are stuck in bad situations, and we go to mental health professionals and they say, well, they're your parents. There's not really anything we can do. That's just the way they are, and you're just gonna have to learn to deal with it until you move out. You know, I've gone through multiple therapy groups, and I've heard a lot of stories, I've listened to a lot of people, and um, the main topic that they talk about is their parents. And, you know, you have to deal with it until you're 18, and here are skills to help you cope so that you don't die. It's not, how can we fix the family dynamic to be better? It's, here's stuff for you to work on to make up for the lack of work that your other family members have put in. A family is a team. You are a single unit. And for one person to be putting in all of the work, it's not healthy. And it's not good for anybody because it's going to cause tension. It's going to cause, you know... Um, it's going to cause, um, you know, people are going to see you and think that your family members are going to see you and think you're different or that you're trying to be quirky or that you're changing and they don't want you to change because they want you to be submissive and be able to be controlled. And when you decide no, I'm not going to anymore, that's the moment that a family becomes a dangerous place. You know, um, 
that you may not be physically abused, but there are so many other factors that go into a family and mental health than just physical abuse. So, to sum up what I learned from this experiment is we need to find a way to, or I, I need to find a way to fix it, to provide a place for youth to go when their family is not being supportive or when their family becomes a toxic place. And, you know, if, um, and I just, I want to strive to make it, to make family something that you can enjoy and people you enjoy being around. Because to live with people that you absolutely hate and have nothing in common with and are constantly fighting with, that is the worst kind of abuse. That is, like, obviously physical abuse is very serious and no one should take it lightly. But we've also been neglecting the side of emotional and mental abuse just because we don't see bruises or we don't see broken bones doesn't mean that it's not hurting. And I think that as I move forward in my life, that that's going to be the focus on my research, on my learning. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. This has been This has been Psycho Nerds with Kari Dexter. Thanks for listening.